Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Goodness, into goodness, knowledge, into knowledge, self-control, into self-control, perseverance, into perseverance, godliness, into godliness, mutual affection, into mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increased measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So when we're in a series talking about everything, which is pretty daunting when you think about it, uh, but the idea that God has given us everything we need for a godly life. And so I want you to read this passage of scripture with me this morning. Uh, we've been challenging us as a church to memorize this passage. So because we're trying to get it in our hearts and our minds as much as we can, I want us to hear it over and over and say it over and over. So if you will, just read this with me. Start in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and we're going to read down to the word self-control today. All right. So let's read that together. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. And so when we are in this series, what we're talking about is focusing on building a godly life and seeing that it's God who gives us everything we need for life and godliness. And so when we think about that and we go, this isn't something we come up with on our own. It's not something we're able to establish in our own power, but it's given to us by God to be able to live the kind of life that he desires for us to have in relationship with him through our knowledge of him. But we also have a role to play in this. We don't just sit back and wait and go, well, one day I'll wake up and be godly. It'll just happen because God's given me everything I need to be godly. So I was ungodly yesterday. Yesterday, but today I woke up and I just feel incredibly godly. I'm just ready to go as a godly person, right? God gives us everything we need for a life of godliness. But like any gift you receive, it doesn't start taking full effect and working out until you take it and start doing something with it, right? And so in our lives, we're given what we need for a life of godliness. But then we have the responsibility of coming along with the Holy Spirit and taking the gifts that he gives to us and working them out, exercising them in our lives so that it builds our faith and grows and develops us. So uh, that's kind of where we've been picking up today. The desires that Peter talks about are the things that work within our own hearts and minds that entice us away from Jesus. And he tells us there, we want to be godly so that we can participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, sometimes those evil desires are things externally that are put in front of us. And you go, man, this was something that was really tempting to me and it was outside of my life. Other times what we're going to see and, and understand more this morning is that there are things just inside of us 
the internal struggle that comes, that we're led astray to temptation in our own desires and what wars inside of us participating in things that would drag us away from Christ. So as we grow in these things more and more and find that we're participating in the divine nature, we escape the evil of the world. Uh, Last week, if you were here with us, Brian uh, did a great job talking about knowledge of God and what that looks like and that we have this knowledge, this awareness, this understanding of God. But deeper than that, deeper than just knowing about God, that we also have an intimate relationship with God. In the same way that scripture talks about when a husband and wife come together, that the husband knows his wife, there's this intimacy that's there. And on that level, it's a sexual intimacy and this knowledge of God. It's the same type of intimacy of being drawn together to know one another, to have this deep fellowship and relationship with one another. And so we're told that we have knowledge of God that helps us understand how to live in relationship with him. Once we have this knowledge of God, the next thing Peter says we need to add to our faith is self-control. And so here's why I think this works well in this list, the way that Peter does it. He's kind of building on some things. And he goes, first, when you come to know God, come into faith in Jesus, there's goodness. Add to your faith goodness. There are things that the first thing a believer starts to do is starts to look like Jesus. The good that Jesus does in the world starts to come out of the life of a believer in him. So we add to our faith goodness. Then we add to goodness knowledge. As we get to know Jesus more intimately and we get to know him in a passionate way where we have this deep awareness and understanding of who he is and what he wants for our lives, then we're drawn into fellowship with him on this deep level. And then Peter's going to say, because of that deep knowledge and love for Jesus, the next thing you add into your faith is self-control. Because the things that would pull us away from Jesus, we have to learn to say no to those things in order to stay deeply connected in the relationship with Jesus. Just like if you're married, you want to stay in an intimate knowledge of your spouse, in an intimate relationship with your spouse, you need to say no to people who are not your spouse. And so Jesus says the same thing. When you come to know him, participate in his goodness, then have this knowledge of him, a divine experience with him in relationship, then the next thing you do is you practice self-control. Here's what self-control is if you're taking notes this morning. Self-control is saying no to sinful desires even when it hurts. Self-control is saying no to sinful desires even when it hurts. Even if it costs you something to say no. That you're willing to say pursuing Jesus is better than pursuing this temptation than pursuing this sinful thing. And so for all of us, we need to learn self-control is saying no to sinful desires, even when it hurts. So when we become a disciple of Jesus, we do the good in the world, we get to know Jesus, then we learn to practice self-control. Self-control is one of the means by which we take a look at the sinful areas of our lives, that the Spirit of God, as He comes to live inside of us as as a new Christian, as a new creation, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us and He starts to point things out. Go, hey, there's this area of your life that this doesn't look like Jesus. You need to deal with that. Hey, there's this thing over here that you do, and it doesn't look like what Jesus would do. You need to deal with that. Hey, there's this thing going on that that you think is okay, but it's really not. It's got deeply hurtful things that are going to be taking place in your life if you continue to pursue that sinful desire. You need to deal with that. And as we learn to hear what the Spirit of God says to us about the things that don't belong in our heart and in our lives, we start to say no to those things through the power of the Spirit by practicing self-control, by saying no to things that can keep us from walking in God's light. Jesus said this, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves daily, take up their cross, and follow me. That means learning to die to ourselves every day. That we learn to die to us, take up your cross daily, 
follow me. That every single day when we come into this relationship with Jesus, we learn to say, today, I'm not my own. I was bought by him, to be in relationship with him, to be led by him, to be changed, to be like him. And it's no longer me and my desires and my personality and what I want for my life. It's him. And so I'm going to pursue and chase after him every single day. But it means we work with the Holy Spirit. Once he exposes these sinful areas of our life, we practice self-control to walk away from sinful, harmful things in order to more fully reflect the glory of God. So if you're taking notes again this morning, here's the next thing I would encourage you to write down. When we practice self-control, we're looking at two things. First is the plan of God for our lives. And second is our own personal desires. And then as we know those two things, we choose what we deem to be best. So in this relationship we have with God, as we come to know him, when we practice self-control, we look at two things, the plan of God for our lives and our own personal desires, and then we choose which we deem to be best. That we would say, okay, there's this thing that God has said. This is his instruction, his command, his design, his desire. But here's what I really want to do. Which one am I going to bow to? Am I going to bow in obedience to Jesus and follow his way? Or am I going to say, but this thing over here that I really kind of want, even though I know it goes against God and his plan, this is what I really, my heart's drawn to this. My desire is for this. My natural inclination of my sinful heart is for this. And we have to choose. Self-control allows us to say no to the things that go against the commands, the desires, the teachings of God, the, the relationship with God to say yes to God and his glory and his goodness in order to follow after him. And I wish I could always say in my life that I choose the right thing. Like it would be great to stand up here this morning and go, you know what? It's just practice like self-control like me, guys. Just always do the right thing. <laughs> but I'm sinful, just like you are. I'm jacked up. And a lot of you are really jacked up. And when we start to think about this measure of self-control and we go, I wish... I wish I always saw the glory of God and said, that's what I'm going to go after. That's what I'm going to pursue. That's what I'm for. But there are a lot of things in life that just become temptations to stumble to sin that go, man, hey, Joel, why don't you come over here? Why don't you look at this? Why don't you engage in this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you say this? This thing that doesn't look like God, but that really tugs and pulls at my heart. And I think all of us, as we grow in our faith, we need to learn to say no to those sinful things in order to say yes to Jesus. Jesus talked about this with his disciples. It gives me great courage to know that the disciples of Jesus, the guys closest to him, had scripts in their life as well. But on the night that Jesus was going to be arrested, do you remember what he did after the Last Supper with his disciples? He took them out to a garden to pray. It was late at night, midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. maybe. And Jesus goes, you guys stay here and pray. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to pray. And he did. He went away and he got alone with the Father and he prayed. And then he would come back and check on the disciples. And it was kind of like after Thanksgiving, right? They had just had a big meal. And you know what you're like after Thanksgiving. The tryptophan kicks in and you find a nice football game on, you lay on the couch. These guys are just asleep, right? And Jesus comes back and goes, guys, guys, wake up. Pray. I got to go over here and I got to pray, but you guys got to wake up and pray. He goes away again. He comes back and he sees them again. What are they doing? Sleeping again, right? He goes, guys, guys, wake up. And then Jesus tells them, listen, it's not your, your spirit that's unwilling, but it's your flesh that's weak. 
And I think that describes a lot of us sometimes when it comes to our life following after Jesus. That we go, my spirit wants to choose Jesus. My spirit wants to choose what's godly, wants to choose what's right. But so many times my flesh is just weak. And too often I find myself running to this thing that's tempting to me instead of choosing the way of Christ. So it's not necessarily that our spirits aren't willing to do what's right. It's just that we need to learn to build up our flesh with our spirit and combine those two things and bring them together to a place that says, man, listen, I want, I want to be fully devoted to God, passionately following after him in my spirit and in my flesh. I want both of those things to be together. John Piper writes about this very idea. He said this, the very concept of self-control implies a battle between a divided self. It implies that our self produces desires we should not satisfy, but instead should control. We should deny ourselves and take up our cross daily, Jesus says, and follow him. Daily, our self produces desires that should be denied or controlled. Right? And so that's just a part of life as a follower of Christ is that we're constantly going to have this tug and this pull back to sinful things when Jesus is telling us you need to practice self-control so you can say no to the evil and the temptations that come from your own heart and come from the world so that you can passionately pursue me and follow after me. And so when you think about this, it, it sounds a lot like what Paul says as he writes to the church. He goes, man, there are things that I want to do to follow Christ that I don't always find myself doing. And then there are things that I know I shouldn't do that I find myself doing those things. I constantly find myself in this war of engagement, of going, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm tugged to come over here to this sinful thing. And, and make no mistake about it, this is a war that's going on. It's raging internally. When you think about this, the things that are taking place inside of us, Satan puts there tempting us to say uh, yes to them when we're called to say no. He doesn't throw things at us that are just softballs. That you can go, nah, I don't want to hit at that. I don't want to swing at that. He's going to throw difficult things at you. He's going to bring us to a place where he's going to go, I'm going to put the hardest temptation in front of you that you can possibly imagine, and I'm going to see what you can do with it. I thought I would illustrate this point this morning with a video. This is a simple, kind of easy video, but it's fun. And so I want you to see this. What happens when something that's tempting to you gets put right in front of you and you're challenged to say no to it? So check this video out. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right.
see. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. That's awesome. How many of you would have beaten the marshmallow? Be honest. Come on. A few of you. Okay. That's good. So no self-control from you guys. Great. Fantastic. Listen, I'm betting, I'm betting Satan puts more difficult things in front of you than marshmallows. Right? I'm betting that there are things in your life that you just go, when it's the temptation that comes, whether it's internal or external forces, my desires, something out in the world that tempts me, I bet you it's challenging to say no to it. So whatever that is in your life, whatever it is, maybe it's gossip or shopping or overeating or alcohol use, or maybe it's pornography, whatever it is that you look at and go, this thing constantly trips me up. This thing, when it's put in front of me, is so hard to say no to. And so we have to learn as a result to practice self-control. Once you identify the sin in your life, you start asking yourself what you're willing to do to go to war against that thing. That you have to look at this and say, if I want to follow Jesus, I have to declare war against sin and against temptation. I have to be willing to go to whatever length is necessary to say no to that desire in order to say yes to Jesus. The author of Proverbs, Solomon, wrote about this. He talked about it as if it was a battle Listen to how Proverbs addresses self-control. Chapter 25, verse 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. So what is the purpose of walls around a city or a nation? It's to keep out invaders, right? It's to keep forces of evil at bay. It's to push things back so that you're protected internally. And the author of Proverbs here says, Listen, if, if you have no self-control... You're like a city whose walls have already been destroyed. Temptation steps in front of you, and you're, you don't even have a chance to say no. It just barrels right in. It takes over in your life. We need to learn to practice self-control to build this up so that we can stand and defend ourselves in the power of the Holy Spirit against the sinful things of this world. 
And Jesus doesn't want us to flounder in our faith and be destroyed by sin. So here's what he does for us. He gives us the gift of self-control. This is part of receiving, when we become followers of Christ, it's part of receiving the Holy Spirit into our life. Right? The Holy Spirit then comes into our life and starts to produce what we call the fruits of the Spirit. Things that he manifests in us so that we start to look more like Jesus. And we talk about this all the time. Maybe you've memorized this list of fruits that the Spirit produces in your life. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And what's the last one? Self-control. Right? This is something that God gives to us through his Holy Spirit so that we don't flounder in our faith, so that we're able to stand. It's the apex of the gifts that God gives to us. He says, I want you to be faithful and stand in your faith with self-control. So I'm going to give you this gift. I'm going to bless you with this. So we have to take the gift that's been given to us and learn to exercise that gift, working it out, strengthening it to rebuild the walls that were broken down in previous attacks. That's what self-control does. Self-control acts as a defense for you against the temptations that life throws your way. So I want you to hear this today, though. Self-control is not just learning to say no to temptations. It's about a bigger no. It's about a yes, actually. It's about saying no to something so that you can say a bigger and better yes. Uh, If you grew up in the early 90s like I did, you might have been a part of something at school, or maybe you had kids uh, that were in this age, but you were part of the D.A.R.E. program. Does anybody remember D.A.R.E.? Teaching kids to say no to drugs and alcohol. Some of you guys have no clue what I'm talking about. It's all right. Uh, So when I was in, in middle school, high school, they had this program, Dare, Dare to Say No to Drugs and Alcohol. And everybody was just told, just say no. That's It's as simple as that. If somebody says, hey, smoke this, hey, do this, hey, use this, you just say no. It's just as easy as saying no, right? Except it didn't always work out that way. People weren't able to just say no. And in fact, in the Christian life, we don't just say no either. There has to be a no that's replaced with a better yes. I saw a yearbook picture this week on, online, and uh, it was an older yearbook picture like probably a lot of us were in, where it was the D.A.R.E. program, and I was in this D.A.R.E. picture, and there was this kid in this particular school that was in the D.A.R.E. group, and it was a whole picture of the group, and underneath it said, just say no. And the kid on the front row is wearing a black shirt with a giant yes, exclamation point, right on his shirt. <laughs> it's like, man, you chose to wear the wrong thing to school on picture day, right? He had no idea that just say no and yes were going to be the conflicting messages of that day for him. But for us, when we look at our faith, we go, it's not just saying, hey, there's a temptation, there's something sinful in your life, say no, walk away. That's part of it. But say no to get to a better yes. Here's what I mean by that. When you think about um, this idea of saying no to say a better yes, John Piper has a quote. He said, you say no in a certain way. You say no by faith in the superior power and pleasure of Christ. The difference between worldly self-control and godly self-control is crucial. Who will get the glory for victory? That's the issue. Will we get glory or will Christ get glory? If we exercise self-control by faith in Christ's superior power and pleasure, Christ will get the glory. Godly self-control says no by faith in the superior power and pleasure of Christ. In other words, we don't just practice self-control and restraint against sin in order to show how great we are. We don't ever want to just be somebody that goes, oh yeah, I'm able to say no to sin and temptation and just walk away from it. Great. Kind of reminds me of another illustration. Do you guys remember? Anybody like potato chips? A few of you. Anybody really like barbecue potato chips? You, you do? Was that a yes, dear? Oh, they are my favorite. Good. Okay. Cindy, you really like barbecue potato chips? Come here for just a second. Because I have some barbecue potato chips, and I happen to need a volunteer from the studio audience. So, mmm, those smell good. Do you guys remember the commercial? What was Lay's? These are not Lay's. 
I've never heard of Terry's, but these are Terry's. So they're not Lay's. So the, the commercial was, bet you can't eat just one. So we're going to test that theory out with somebody who loves barbecue potato chips. But they're not Lay's. So let's see if Terry's is tempting to you. You got a big one. That was good. Good choice. If you were going to only eat one and you got a little tiny one. Do you want another one? Are you sure? They smell really good. You do want another one? But why are you going to say no to another one right now? Because they're not good for me. Because they're not good for you? And because the pastor is teaching on. Right. Self-control. That's right. Okay. Good. All right. So you guys give her a hand. Here. Take this with you. Nope. Nathan, I knew I could count on you to have no self-control. You're my boy. <laughs> I love you guys so much. Hey, listen, the guy that created the Marshmallow Challenge, he's an Ivy League professor by the name of Walter Michelle. I hope I'm saying his name right. Uh, he said this about the experiments he conducted. The children who succeed turn their backs on the marshmallow, push it away, pretend it's something non-edible like a piece of wood, or they invent a song. Instead of staring down the object, they transform it into something with less of a throbbing pull on them. If you change how you think about it, its impact on what you feel and do changes. Isn't that interesting? If you start to think about something as sinful, as disobedient to God, as something not worth having in your life, as you take this thing that seems to be a draw to you, temptation, and you start to go, no, you know what? That's a monster. It wants to eat me. Then you start to behave differently toward it. But again, this is not about just going, hey, you know, I see this now as a really ugly thing that I can personally just say, no thanks, I'm walking away. We always need to get to a place as followers of Christ where we say, I don't want to choose that because Jesus is better. I'm choosing him. I want the better yes for the thing that I say no to. That's how you develop and build up self-control. So the, self, the key to self-control is not inward, it's upward. It's developing this knowledge of God, this intimacy with God, this relationship with God. And the more we know God, the more we desire his glory than the things of earth, than the temptations that come our way, than the sinful things that would desire to come after us. Right? And so when we do that, we want to remember that we're not setting our goal to not sin. We're setting our goal to follow God. And here's what I want you to hear. When you're, the goal becomes not sinning, the focus is sin, not God. We want the focus to be God and his glory and his majesty and his righteousness and his goodness. His kingdom. That's what we're pursuing. That's what we're moving after. So here's what I want to do this morning to close our time together. I want us to take a look at five ways to add self-control to our faith. Peter challenges us and says, add to your faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control. So how do we add self-control to our faith? Here's number one. If you're taking notes, write some things down. Ask the Holy Spirit for self-control and then work with him to develop it. Remember, this is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a gift of God. It's not something you produce on your own in a power that comes with a way to say no to the worst temptations in life. It's a gift of the Spirit. So ask the Spirit of God for self-control and then work with Him to develop it. That as He gives you a little bit of self-control, develop that to become greater self-control. Take a small stand against something now and take a bigger stand against something next. Develop self-control by working with the Holy Spirit. Let him develop it in your life and then work it out. Here's number two. 
Identify and remove your triggers that cause you to stumble. Identify and remove the triggers that cause you to stumble. Listen, every single one of us knows this. You know what your area of temptation is. You know. I know. I know what gets me. I know what can trip me up. And because I know what can trip me up, I know what I have to do to say no to it. I know some things that I have to do to take serious enough to cut out some things from my life in order to say no to that. That I have to get serious about dealing with the temptation so that I don't stumble into it. You know what your area of temptation is. You know where you struggle with sin. What are you willing to do to put blockades between you and that thing so you can practice self-control and say no to it? What do you cut out of your life? How strongly are you willing to go to war against sin and against temptation? Celebrate wins when you accomplish things that help you overcome temptation and then reestablish the walls that are built up in your group, but uh, in your life, but identify and remove your triggers that cause you to stumble. This week, if you're in a life group that's focused on our sermon series and that's walking through some of those things, when you go to life group this week, you're going to look at the life of Joseph. And one place in particular in Joseph's life where Joseph had to say no to a big time temptation. He was a servant in the house of Potiphar, And the only thing that was off limits to him was Potiphar's wife. He was in charge of everything else in Potiphar's household except Potiphar's wife. And who do you think put on the full court press to come at Joseph and tempt him sexually? Potiphar's wife. And time after time, Joseph has to say no, no, no. And finally, when he goes, she is not going to give up. What does he do? He doesn't stay in the situation. He runs from it. The Bible says we flee from sexual immorality. We flee from those things that want to destroy us. You run from the stuff that can kill you. So when you look at your life and you go, what is it that trips me up? Where do I stumble? Where do I sin? Where do I have temptations? Be willing to do whatever it takes to put it to death. All right? Here's number uh, three. Number three, be honest in accountability relationships about the places you need help to develop self-control. All of us need people in our life that we can come to and we can go, hey man, here's where I struggle. Hey, here's where I'm being tripped up. I've got guys in my life that I can call and just go, hey, got some things that are tempting me. I just need you to be praying for me tonight. Call me tomorrow, ask how I did. Right? I just want to make sure that I stay pure, that I stay upright, that I stay following after God. But they know where my struggles are. They know where my temptations lie. They know that I call them. They call me. We, we help each other walk through these things that are difficult for us individually to conquer. So get accountability in your life. Who do you have that you need? Fellas, let me listen. Let me talk to you for just a second. This is incredibly important to us as men. Satan wants us to think that we just kind of should be our own man. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Handle things on your own. You don't need anybody else. You're strong enough. You're good enough. You're big enough. That is a total lie. You need other people in your life, other men in your life that can walk with you through and help you fight temptation and sin, all right? Now, ladies, that doesn't mean that doesn't apply to you. It's just, guys, it's a lie we've bought into for a long time. And as men in the church, we need to be willing to say, I need accountability. I need support. I need somebody who's gonna invest themselves in my life to help me walk in the purity of Christ. Here's number four. Long for the glory of Jesus to be evident in your life. If Jesus is the thing you long for more than anything else, then saying yes to sin and temptation is going to be much harder 
because you're going to want to say no to those things in order to say the better yes to Jesus. So long for the glory of Jesus to be evident in your life. Number five, final one, remember the gospel when you fail. Remember the gospel when you fail. You go, that's kind of a bleak outlook there, Pastor. When you fail, that implies that I'm going to fail. I'm not going to do it. You know what? Guess what? You are going to fail. None of us is perfect. None of us will walk with Jesus in absolute perfection through the rest of our life. We will stumble and fall. Sin is difficult. It's born into our nature to crave sinful things. Even as a follower of Christ, you're going to stumble and you're going to fall. What do you do when that happens? You preach the gospel to yourself. You remind yourself that while you are more sinful than you care to admit, Jesus is more forgiving and more loving than you could ever possibly hope. And his salvation and his forgiveness comes to you in your darkest moments. Oftentimes for me, when I fall into sin, the thing I want to do is just get as far away from God and from Christians as I can. What's the darkest hole I can bury myself in? And guess what you do in the dark? You stay in the sin. You just go deeper and darker. But what I've found in my life to be true is that when I get out of that hole and preach the gospel to myself, let the word of God and the spirit of God remind me who he is, what he's done in my life. Pull me out of that dark place and go get back in Christian fellowship and get back in the word of God and get back into relationship with Jesus. That's when the life change happens. So don't stay in the darkness. Come into the light. Remember the gospel when you fail. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's in our time of deepest need that Jesus would remind you there's hope for you. There's help for you. There's mercy for you. There's grace for you. There's peace for you. Your sin doesn't define you. The love of Jesus transforms you to take you out of sin and to bring you into his glorious, marvelous light. So let's walk with him. Let's learn to say yes to him to say no to sin, to say no to temptation. As we practice self-control, Peter reminds us, do this more and more. Add to it over and over so you'll never be ineffective and never be unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.